Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome everyone to the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by James Martin, a senior writer at Liverpool.com. And for the past few weeks, we've been doing deep dives, not only into Liverpool's midfielders, but also into their defenders. This week, we're going to move away from that slightly. And we talked a lot about what Trent Alexander-Arnold and what Liverpool can achieve with this new system. Obviously, with Trent Alexander-Arnold basically as kind of this hybrid midfielder moving between that role and right back. And we assume that they're going to retain that system for next season as as their primary way of playing, just based on the success that they had at the back end of last year, obviously. But obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold can't play every game. So we were sort of wondering what Liverpool are going to do as their plan B. Um, and what they'll do when Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't playing. Um, that probably won't be too regular in occurrence, certainly in, in the biggest competitions. I mean, you look at Trent's um, injury history, he's only missed 23 games in his career. So from that point of view, hopefully there won't be too many absences. But obviously there needs to be rotation. There might be the odd absence here and there. And with the Europa League uh, group stages in sort of the first half of the season, we probably wouldn't expect a player of sort of Trent's quality to feature too much in that stage of the competition. So there will be sort of a different Liverpool template, we suspect, um, being used by Jürgen Klopp. So let's start it off, uh, James, by talking about kind of that area of the squad. Um, do you think it's a mistake that Liverpool haven't brought in another right back this season? Obviously, we've seen uh, Calvin Ramsey go out on loan to Preston year after he joined and while maybe certain players have come back from loan, that certainly hasn't been that sort of specialist acquisition. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a mistake. I mean, obviously the the change in shape that you touched upon there does kind of change the equation. But if you look at how Liverpool have operated that right-back space for a long time now, basically since Alexander-Arnold's emergence, it's been sort of a given that he'll play whenever he's fit, whenever he's available, and then there'll be a promising probably academy graduate as that kind of backup option. We saw Nico Williams fill that role for quite a long time and, and fill it quite well, to be honest, for for what he was needed for. Like I say, when Alexander-Arnold can play, he, he will play, you know, 99 times out of 100. So it, it's not been a position where Liverpool needs someone exceptional necessarily. It just needs someone who's a profile match. And in the past, that's just been a highly attacking fullback, someone like Nico Williams. Um you know, maybe that profile changes with what we're asking of Alexander-Arnold now. And I think we'll, we'll touch on that more sort of as we go through. But in terms of just purely 
right back cover if we're still sort of viewing him as a right back I think you have to look at Connor Bradley and say he's come in come back from loan to be that that player the, the Nico Williams equivalent or the Calvin Ramsey equivalent if you will obviously Ramsey didn't get to fulfill that function last season because he was beset by injuries but the logic was clear I mean Ramsey that deal was agreed and I think it was possibly even the next day. It was certainly very quickly that the uh, the Bradley loan away to Bolton was confirmed. So the logic was clearly, well, we only need one of these to perform that that sort of occasional cover function, you know, rotation maybe in the cup games. It's not going to be a hugely strenuous role in terms of minutes acquired. So, yeah, I think Bradley was really impressive at Bolton. Ramsey obviously couldn't impress and he's now been loaned out. So I think that suggests to me that, that the club are saying look when we do need that right back cover then then that's going to fall to Bradley in those kind of games and I, I don't necessarily have a problem in that purely because as you say Alexander-Arnold has a great availability record it's not going to be too often we're calling upon that kind of player and so I think he deserves that kind of occasional chance. Yeah I think you know you mentioned those those players there um, sort of Connor Bradley being one of them as well Calvin Ramsey, Neko Williams what was interesting is while I suppose you looked at it and, and on maybe the depth chart, you'd say they are kind of the natural backup to Alexander Arnold. A lot of the time, we actually saw James Milner was probably the most prominent kind of um, backup um, in reality. A bit of Joe Gomez as well here and there. Um, so obviously, Milner's now left the club. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of who sort of would be that, that second choice, whether it would be Bradley. I mean, obviously, like you say, very impressive at Bolton, but it is a big step up in quality. And then you've got Gomez, who's kind of a bit different. So so that's a, a dilemma in itself. But in terms of this kind of new role that Alexander Arnold has where he's moving between right back and basically a defensive midfield position alongside Fabinho. How hard do you think it is? I mean, not just for sort of next season, but if that is to be his long term role in the team. Then you might disagree on this and, and maybe one or two names have been thrown out there. There isn't necessarily anyone else in the squad who can who can replicate it. And you probably need a um a midfielder who can play as a fullback. I mean, there's not too many examples of that. I mean, there's a few high profile ones, like Reese James, um, Sergio Roberto at Barcelona, Kimmich um at Bayern, um, John Stones as well, obviously, at Man City playing kind of as a right back slash midfielder last year. So we, there are a few out there, but it certainly seems like very difficult to go out into the market and bring someone in who can basically be sort of the the Costa Simicas to Trent Alexander Arnold because compared to um compared to Robertson, I mean Trent's game seems to just be a lot more multifaceted. Yeah, it's it's almost impossible. I mean, even those players you mentioned, a lot of them can function in midfield and you know they're technically proficient enough. I put John Stones in that category, but they don't bring what Trent Alexander Arnold brings to the midfield because I mean very few do, even you're sort of out and out creative midfielders if you compare Trent directly to to them there's there's still only a few who you'd put above him you know Kevin De Bruyne is the only one in the Premier League who immediately springs to mind to be honest you know the, his range of passing his his vision and then ability to pull off pull off those balls it's um yeah it's it's incredible and trying to replicate that you know within the current squad or or out in the market is is always going to be a really tough ask and yeah like you say now that he does have that kind of double role of of right back slash midfielder it's become even harder to find someone who can can adequately sort of 
you know, do, do an impression of him almost. Um, it, it's interesting that that Ramsey's the one who's gone out on loan because one of the reasons cited for for going for him from Aberdeen in the first place was that he did have a lot of similarities in his game to Trent Alexander-Arnold. You know, I've, I've not watched him loads, so I have to say, but people who have have said that they see those stylistic similarities. That's not to say that he's he's played in the middle. You know, this was before the Alexander-Arnold experiment had had got going. So it's still very much an unknown whether he could be one who, you know, does have the skill set to to cover that role in the longer term. And obviously we won't find out this season because he'll be off at Preston. So that that's one possibility gone. But yeah, I don't think there's anyone who can step in and do the role like he does it because he's a generational talent. But, you know, that's that's a problem Liverpool have in most areas of the squad because they do have very good footballers who it's hard to replace in that like-for-like manner. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And probably a particularly uh, uh, pronounced problem as well with Trent Alexander-Arnold just because of how um, unique a player he is. I mean, I think you make, you're quite right in terms of you look at the players on that list. I mean, of the ones that I mentioned, there's probably only sort of Reese James and, and, and Kimmich who could maybe do that. And really, there's a reason that those players would be so expensive, I suppose, because they are such you know rare skill sets. But Trent is, I think he's 24, you know, we presume he's going to be at Liverpool for the rest of his career. So, I mean, if he is going to be, I'm, we might be getting ahead of ourselves a bit, but certainly based on the trend and the way things are going at the moment, it looks like he's going to play a lot in midfield, whether that's kind of um, permanent or in this hybrid role, which seems to be uh, the option that's seen as the best fit at the moment. If that is kind of his long-term position, um, do Liverpool need to think about if they can't necessarily go out and get someone else who can do it? Does that need to be almost in in a strange way the the manner in which like academy players and young players are raised now, not just to um be able to to play as a fullback, but also to be kind of comfortable, you know, creating and, and inverting into midfield. And I mean, that might even be something that we see not not just at Liverpool, but in terms of the fact that, you know, we got Man City and Arsenal doing it, the two best teams in the Premier League last season, obviously teams across Europe as well. I mean, it feels like, you know, we've seen Trent and, and Robertson revolutionise the role of the fullback. You know, Trent might be part of kind of re-revolutionising it in a, in a strange way, where, like, now the, the role is going to become even more complex. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think it's probably one of those moments in football where, you know, the game moves on. And, you know, it's we've seen it with goalkeepers, haven't we, where until, you know, a generation ago, the training was very much focused on shot stopping and you wouldn't have those those drills where they're working with their feet, where they're passing out from the back. And now, you know, you don't need to see what happened with De Gea at Man United to know how much the game has moved on. You know, he, he's won the Golden Glove this season, but still there's been this verdict that he's no longer what Ten Hag wants, what United needs to, to move forward as a progressive modern club and that's that's how quickly these things go in the game and you know it's premature to say that's what's happening at right back I don't think necessarily every right back is going to need to be a midfielder from from this moment on but it does seem to be the general direction of travel obviously some things in football you get tactical trends rather than you know seismic shifts we saw you know a bit of a renaissance in the three at the back in the Premier League for a while which is you know kind of still here or in a new form with this with this right back trend i suppose because people are shifting into midfield you know forming a a de facto three at the back but 
the kind of rigid 352 type thing or 343 the, the Antonio Conte effect really didn't 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 last too long so it could be it could be a more fleeting trend but I think from what we've seen so far like you say with lots of top managers looking to do this kind of inversion I think it does seem to be the natural next step so yeah I think it will be a trend across multiple clubs and particularly at Liverpool like you say if that is going to be Trent's role part of the academy's function will be to find the next player to, to come in and, and you know deputize and maybe one day take over so so yeah I think they have to take their lead from the first team and, and from what Klopp's doing yeah there definitely has to be that kind of philosophy trickling down almost um but let's kind of get into how Liverpool will set up when when Trent's unavailable and we don't know kind of what proportion of games this is going to be. But let's say, you know, a Premier League game, I think there's been a couple of games recently against Man City, for example, when he's not been playing, obviously, probably the worst time to um, to lose a player of that quality. And Europa League group stage, like we said um, earlier, probably not going to be, I mean, we're probably going to see players like um, Alisson, Van Dijk, Trent, Salah, players like that, unlikely to, you know, play that much in the group stage, depending on how Liverpool are going, kind of uh, points-wise and stuff. So let's take those two scenarios. No Trent in the lineup. How do you expect Liverpool to play? Do you reckon they'd still try and have this kind of box midfield structure, or would we see them go back to that old four-three-three template? It's a tricky one. I think it probably does depend on the the context of the game. In some ways, I think if I had to just pick one or the other, I'd say they'd try and and keep the box purely because it's never ideal to be splitting from system to system it you know that these these are intelligent players at the highest level so that they're capable of doing it but for the most part you look at teams who have enjoyed success and they've had a very clear identity i mean liverpool is probably the perfect example of that if you if you are someone to describe Klopp's liverpool team that's been a pretty fixed image for most of his tenure really certainly after the first couple of transfer windows where he was able to start shaping the team how he wanted to so yeah, he's not really a manager who, who likes to kind of chop and change too much when he can avoid it. I mean, even last season, it took him a little while to to do the experiment. I mean, the Trent experiment, for example, which people have been, been calling for for years even. So, yeah, I don't think that'll be what he wants to do. But then, of course, you do circle back around to the problem of, of who plays in place of Trent, because as we touched upon, there's there's no one within or outside of the squad who can can really do that particularly convincingly so yeah I think probably we are looking at someone still being asked to perform that hybrid role but maybe it's someone who you know you don't necessarily you know associate with those skill sets um I think one interesting possibility we've talked about John Stones at, at Man City he's sometimes done that kind of stepping into midfield from a centre-back base and then the right back is tucked in. So so one thing you can look at is maybe you play Joe Gomez as the right back. He's obviously not going to be the one stepping into midfield. I don't think he has that progressive skill set necessarily. But if you pair him with someone like a Joel Matip as the right side at centre-back, who then does the John Stones function, he steps forward, Gomez becomes the one protecting right centre-back and right mm. back. I think that's an interesting possibility to think about because Matip is someone who very much does have that skill set. Obviously, we're not looking too long term here. He's only got a year left on his contract. He's about to turn 32. But just in terms of covering for next season, if nothing else, I think that's a viable option, which we could see if, if Klopp was keen to keep 
broadly the same system, the box midfield, but wanted to rest Trent or Trent was unavailable for any reason. I think that's a that's a legitimate way around it. But if we're looking at specifically a right back, then you know Connor Bradley is still very young. I think maybe the solution we're looking at is is trying to see if he can do that role. Mm. Um, he did play very advanced for Bolton. He was a right midfielder at times as well as a right wing back, and, and of course an orthodox right back at times. That doesn't necessarily translate into central midfield skills. Obviously, they're very different. But as I say, given his age. And given that that experiment will probably be taking place in Europa League games that Liverpool are heavy favourites for, I think that's another viable option. I think it's it's maybe one we could see. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean to, to look at first of all the change in systems idea. I want to revisit that a little bit later, but I think what's interesting is last season we saw Klopp try these sort of four two three one um narrow diamond and then, then kind of a more conventional four four two and the the thing that tended to happen was there'd be sort of one or two at a push kind of good results from it and then it would like backfire and it's back to the four three three and you start to think you do kind of just need that that fixed uh, setup to kind of have like a lasting positive impact really. Um I mean Matip's an interesting shout I think obviously um someone who when he was in Germany I think played as a defensive midfielder um a few times um, there's also obviously you know you can look at kind of defenders who can do it. Maybe you look at as well as pick out someone from midfield who could potentially move back and defend in that right back position. Perhaps you know I think the one that would stand out there is Jordan Henderson. These are both kind of imperfect solutions, I suppose. But I mean, a that's part of the reason why we're doing this episode in the first place. But but b I think that kind of you know points to the challenge that we talked about with with sort of replicating uh, what you get from Trent. Um, as a whole, do you think the new signings that Liverpool have made, obviously McAllister and, and Sobersly so far, um, but also the way Curtis Jones played in this new system, the way it probably suits Harvey Elliott a bit better? I mean, it feels like Liverpool are trying to move not just kind of Trent, but the whole squad towards this system. I mean, I mean maybe that does point us to, in terms of linking it back to that previous question, kind of being committed to, to this shape. Um, almost no matter what, and this being kind of the number one system now. Yeah, I think so. I don't know whether I'd necessarily have agreed when it was just McAllister through the door, because, I mean, when he came in, Klopp talked up his versatility, and, mm. you know, that's that's very much an accurate comment to make on him. He's, he's even played as a number six before. He's played as a number eight. He's played as a number 10. So he struck me as a, as a signing who could almost have been hedging bets in terms of what Liverpool were going to do with the system. But... Sobosly, not so much. He does have versatility, but in a different way, really. He, he can play as an advanced number eight or he can play as a number 10, but he can play as a winger as well. He's been playing as a winger most of last season for RB Leipzig. That comes with with a, a caveat, if you will, because their wingers are very narrow and you know you, you could maybe make the case that a winger at Leipzig is, is more similar to Liverpool's new advanced number eight role than it is to someone like Mohamed Salah, but the point is, if, if he's going to play in midfield primarily for Liverpool, which we're all expecting at the moment, then he does seem almost uniquely suited to those new roles that have been created, the new interpretation of the number eight role. If you compare it to the sort of primarily functional clock midfield of, of not too long ago, <clears throat> sorry, you wouldn't necessarily imagine he's someone who Klopp would want in there. I mean, he, he has the pressing, which has always been a key component, but, you know, he has very attacking instincts. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we saw Wijnaldum come in, 
similarly, he had those attacking instincts. He'd played in a front line for Newcastle and Klopp moulded him into what he wanted to be. So you wouldn't necessarily rule out Zobislai thriving in that kind of more traditional Liverpool midfield either. But you wouldn't necessarily think he'd be the one Liverpool would go for if they were planning at the moment to just revert back to what they'd done before with the midfield. It does look very much like, for the time being, the plan is sticking with those advanced dates. Like you say, it brings the best out of Jones and Elliot as well. And the benefits for Trent we've, we've been talking about. So, yeah, I think if I had to if I had to guess, I'd say that it does look like the plan is in place with those transfers to, to keep going with, with the new system. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I think what's interesting as well, you know, if you mention it, kind of suiting young players, it probably doesn't suit Henderson and Thiago. You know, Henderson, I mean, he can play kind of maybe one of the two number six roles, but you feel like he doesn't necessarily fit the advanced eight role that well just because he doesn't necessarily have the attack and skill set that you need for it. Um, and Thiago as well probably was best as that left-sided number eight in the old system. So it's almost kind of like out with the old in with the new in a way. Um, and that's, again, what makes me wonder whether this is just going to be kind of, you know, we, we talk about how the four-three-three was what we saw as clubs have built for so long. Maybe now it is going to be this kind of three-box-three. Three. I mean, obviously in paper, it's still four-three-three. Three. Um, but in reality, obviously, it's going to look a lot different because... Liverpool are going to have the ball the majority of the time, and that's how they're going to set up um, when they do. Um, obviously, as well, you know, you've got to consider Klopp can spring surprises with his system. I mean, it's generally we've we've all got a, probably a quite similar vision of what Liverpool are going to look like next year, depending obviously on one or two more transfers potentially. But um, you know, often those visions don't actually end up being what's um, going on in the manager's head, basically, and and we could see something that is a little bit surprising or a little bit radical. I mean, you mentioned Wijnaldum there. No one no one foresaw him as the kind of midfielder that he was going to be when he arrived at Liverpool um, by any means. And we might see a repeat this year. But just to, to touch back on this 4-3-3 then, the kind of traditional one that we've seen, is it fair to say that there'd be kind of concerns that Liverpool did move back to it um, for sort of sustained periods? Because obviously... It feels like the kind of box midfield is is sort of in vogue a little bit just because, you know, you've got City and Arsenal using it, the best two teams last season, like I've said. Um, it feels like it just gives you, like, the best balance in terms of how you want to sort of play um, in the Premier League right now. And also, I suppose, we, one of the players we look, looked at in our deep dives was um, Fabinho. He looked really exposed in a 4-3-3. Um, so if he had, say, McAllister and Sobosly in front of him, you think... Is he going to have enough kind of protection there? Whereas you put Trent alongside him and then those two players ahead of him, he starts to look a lot more kind of, um, you know, in a position to thrive, let's say, in a position to get back more towards um, what we expect from him. I mean, is there kind of, if you do see Liverpool in those games where Trent can't play going back to that 4-3-3, do you think, is it problematic in a way? Yeah, potentially, particularly if there isn't that, recruitment drive for number six there's still time for a third midfielder to be signed and I do think if that happens it's likely to be someone more comfortable in the number six role I mean you know the biggest things at the moment are probably I would say Romeo Lavia aren't they and you know he's more comfortable in that that deeper role and perhaps I'd be more confident of switching back to the sort of traditional 4-3-3 if we had someone a bit younger than Fabinho 
someone a bit fresher. Just when we were playing that 4 3 3, he just looked a yard off the pace far mm. too often. Um, but I feel like if that was the plan, that would have been, you know, transfer priority number one. We'd have seen a lot more number sixes linked with Liverpool. We'd have seen, you know, some serious funds committed to it. We'd be looking at, you know, almost the equivalent of, of a Sobersly or a McAllister in that position. Um, someone who's, you know, one of the highest rated up and coming players there, you know, Zivamendi maybe at, at, uh, at Sociedad, who, who Barcelona have liked to look at. Uh, but those players just haven't been on the radar. So it does seem like, the plan is to is to keep faith in Fabinho, even if that is alongside you know a younger player who can be competition for him. Uh, and yeah, under those circumstances, I would be a little bit worried playing that traditional four three three. Like you say, just look. I mean, we, we've got a lot of data from it now. We've we've seen Liverpool play that shape with Fabinho as as the sole number six. You know, for most of last season, really, it's easy to forget that because of how how well the change did once it came in, but. Yeah, I mean, it was a mess, particularly in transition, and that there's no particular reason for confidence that mm. that would be different now. Um, I suppose what would be good is, even if it is Fabinho as the number six, if he has better pressing in front of him from the number eights, which you think he probably would do with this obvious lie with McAllister, then, you know, that recreates a little bit of the help he's been getting off Trent. And so I don't think he'd look as exposed as maybe he did at times last season, if everything in front of him was was functioning properly. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there's no way he can be absolved of responsibility for for some of the uh, the situations he got himself into last season. And I don't think the pressing in front of him would be a complete solution. So yeah, I think I think you're right. I think at this point, you'd be looking at the box midfields wherever possible, and any change back to the old formation would come with with some concerns attached. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I completely agree that they're um, intending to back Fabinho in, in that position. I think, like you say, if they weren't, we would have seen them go out and, and recruit kind of a, a top number six, would go quite aggressive with it. Lavi is kind of more of a long-term project, I think. Um, and so they're basically prepared to kind of rely on him to, to get back to something like his best. I think the, the transition thing is crucial as well, because that was basically Liverpool's main weakness, you could argue, last year in terms of how they were kind of getting exploited. And this system looked a lot better at absorbing that. Um, and also, you know, just to clarify, like, obviously we're not expecting, like, Trent to, like, miss loads of games. We're not expecting too much of this 4-3-3. But I think maybe those City games I mentioned earlier are a good example where you get kind of a big game, a key game in your season where Trent can't play. How are you going to set up then? And I suppose that leads us into the last thing I want to ask. I mean... You mentioned it before, James. Like, how easy is it, do you reckon, for players to move between different systems? I mean, we might see it from, depending on how Liverpool do it, from sort of a, a Thursday night game to a Sunday, um, where they're going from sort of a 4 3 3 more conventionally in one game to a box midfield the next. I mean, obviously, like you say, they are kind of elite players, they're kind of elite football thinkers as well, but it doesn't seem very stable. We've seen a bit of flexibility up to this point. I think the main thing as a consistent theme over the years would be maybe within a game you'd see um, a midfielder come out and another attacker come in. But that seems a lot easier to accommodate than kind of changing the way that you're playing with kind of inverted fullbacks and changing the structure of midfield entirely. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, should we view the flexibility that Liverpool have now as as a blessing, or should it be something that no, we need to really nail down our um, our fair system? Yeah, I think it's it's somewhere between the two. I think you're right to point out earlier that when you look at Liverpool last season and the chopping and changing, you know, if you look at it holistically, it didn't serve the team well. There were there was the occasional upturn, like you said, for a game or two, but the consistency was what was needed, and I think that's that's a trend in in most teams who have who have succeeded in in recent times. I suppose if you were looking for counterexamples, you'd maybe say. Mourinho, big part of his philosophy is, is playing the opponent, isn't it? And lining up based on how he expects the opponent to line up. But, um, you know, I think keeping every, all of these changes within the kind of broadly similar tactical template, even for these elite players, it's, it's the best way to ensure success because it means you can just drill the same thing every week. There's, there's going to be modifications. There's going to be little tweaks depending on what you're coming up against. But it's inevitable that if you can practice something week in week out on the training ground then that's the thing which is going to be best come the weekend or, or you know come midweek in, in the case of the european games um so yeah it's it's i suppose it's maybe more of a, a disadvantage if liverpool are having to to chop and change between systems because of for example an alexander arnold absence but I think it is also worth acknowledging the other side of the coin. And I think those in-game changes that you touched upon is is the difference, really, because that's that's the time when Klopp needs to sort of respond to something the opposition has done or perhaps respond to the game state more, mm. more to the point. So, you know, if Liverpool are behind, maybe that's when something needs to change. That's when maybe you can you can change the system and you lose a bit of familiarity from the players, maybe, but you, you gain the a specific tactical advantage and, and based on the state of the game that trade-off becomes worth making and so yeah in that respect it's good Liverpool has options I don't necessarily know whether Klopp would want to go to a 4-3-3 in game to uh to you know to make because it doesn't really make it more defensively solid as we touched upon with the transition problem but you wouldn't really think it makes it more potent going forward either so it's hard to see the circumstances where he might think, right, let's go back to 4-3-3 in this game. But, you know, it, it's very new territory in terms of in terms of this new system. So this this is what Klopp trusts, the 4-3-3. You know, he he knows it back to front. So, you know, he'll he'll know more than us, but mm. you could you could envisage a situation where maybe he would want to to switch to that in game. And in that respect it's good that he still has the personnel, the option to do that. So yeah, it's certainly not a complete negative, but whenever a change is, you know, forced upon a manager because of personnel problems, then I don't think you can really spin that as a good thing. So, yeah, that is that is, I suppose, the the Trent Alexander-Arnold problem at the minute. Yeah, definitely, and um, I think what's interesting is obviously recording this in the midst of kind of Liverpool's preseason starting up. It feels like one of the big things for Klopp this summer is going to be refining this system, kind of drilling his players in it, and really kind of educating them in that kind of new way of playing as opposed to maybe the old way. Um, so that's obviously a bit of a balancing act for him. Um, and and yeah, I think you make you, you make a fair point as well in terms of who are we going to see kind of if, if they did change to a, um, if, they, if they did change set up within game, the 4-3 doesn't have that much appeal as the alternative. I wonder if you could sort of see them accommodate the extra attacker by maybe putting Cody Gakpo on and sort of the right side of the number eight. Oh, we've seen him there once or twice already, but 
yeah, certainly, like we've, we've touched upon, so many kind of possibilities, but maybe not one that kind of stands out as, as the perfect plan B because you do need an effective plan B um, at the top level. Maybe Liverpool have been found out for not having that in the past. Uh, that's going to be one of the key questions for Klopp uh, going into next season. But yeah, we will leave it there for this episode. So thanks very much, James. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.